The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for May 26, 2021. My name is Justin Robert Young, and uh, we got a hell of a show here for you today. I I got, I got a, oh, I got a bee in my bonnet. Boy, do I. Oh, I'm steamed like rice, ladies and gentlemen. There was an ad that I saw that was sent to me. By one of you, a dear listener, that just got my goat. It got it. It got my goat. And uh, I'm going to make fun of it. It's about the California recall election. I got a little bit to say there. It's not so much about the race in general, more about some of the realities of running for governor in California. But okay, We'll, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Also, we're going to talk about dog whistles. The phrase dog whistle. When is it appropriate? What does it even mean? And are we overusing it? We will also be joined by the one, the only, Tom Merritt, who will tell us uh, about our modern scourge of ransomware and whether or not the government is or should be taking a more involved role in this process. I mean, hell, look, there are people sitting in line for gas because of a ransomware attack on a pipeline. That's about the time when people are waiting in line for gas That's about the time that you would imagine your government would want to step in and protect things going forward. Before we get started, though, uh, there was an email that came in. Woodrow writes, hey, Jerbs, I was all set to get my vaccine today when up comes a screening question. Have you been in contact with somebody isolating as a close contact? I answered honestly and said yes. But that contact in question has received multiple negative tests in the past week. Consequently, I was turned away and now have to get back to on my local wait list. My family thinks I should have lied to get the shot, but I, as a rule, try not to lie to medical professionals. I'm curious what you would have done in my place. Woodrow, thank you for writing in. Oh, I probably would have lied. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have out and out lied. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I would have done maybe some mental calculations to say that what I was about to say wasn't a lie. I might have done that. I might have said, well, what they really mean, and this is probably old protocol, is are you with somebody who's actively sick? And if that's the case, then no, they're I'm I'm quarantining with somebody that's had multiple negative tests. So really, if we're going to interpret the spirit of the question and not the letter of the question, then give me my vaccine. I think that that that, that might have been the way to do it. But also, Woodrow, what I think you're kind of caught up in now is a bit of a sea change, a a, a, a bit of a, um, a a different understanding of kind of where we are in in our in our recovery effort. I would suggest, look, I'll, I'll say to you, if you're if you're worried about waiting 
for the wait list again, then uh, I know that there's a large portion of my audience that I would charitably and enthusiastically describe as nerds. And nerds do nerd things like, you know, get PS5s and go see Avengers Endgame on the opening night. If you can get a PS5 and you can get Endgame tickets, you, sir, can indeed get a... Uh, <laughs> you, you, you can indeed get a vaccine. You just got to find the right CVSs, call around, the right Walgreens, Publix. I don't know where you're at, but a lot of people are giving vaccines these days. You can figure out a way to go get one. I would encourage you to do it, but that is an unfortunate situation. But first, all right, let's understand a few things about California. First, there's like 24 Republicans statewide. All right, that's that's a bit of an overstatement, but but not by much. 24% of Californians are Republicans. That means that 46% are Democrats. So while a recall election is probably the only way a modern Republican can get into the governor's mansion, if you want to do that, you have to do it by tarnishing the sitting Democratic governor Gavin Newsom to a majority Democratic electorate. At the same time, you have to elevate your name recognition so you appear as an acceptable replacement. For the Democrats, you're a Band-Aid, not a new limb. I'm going to play for you an ad that was sent in by Joey, great listener to this show, because he saw it on television in Sacramento. This is an ad by gubernatorial recall candidate John Cox. It's beauty. Pretty boy. Or the beast. The beauty. Pretty boy. Has failed. The beast, John Cox, will shake up Sacramento, cut taxes. Learn about California's nicest, smartest beast at johncox.com. John Cox began his campaign by bringing a live bear to the state capitol. It's the same bear that you see in this ad. An ad in which John Cox attacks Gavin Newsom for being too hot, a sexy airhead governor. That's the problem. Stupid, sexy Gavin. He's too much of a smoke show to govern. And what you really need is a plug, ugly fire hydrant like John Cox. A beast? Really? That's where we want to go. People in California are annoyed with their government right now. Post-COVID, you need to remind them of what they lost. You don't need to solve all of their problems. You just need to remind them of their problems. You don't need to say that all Democrats are bad. You just need to say that this Democrat is bad. But you have to do it with something that resonates and not just, God damn, the cheekbones on that guy. You got to come up with a slogan. You know, for example, and 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 even in the Bay Area, the Bay Area, the, uh, that is that is the liberals' liberal bastion. I don't even know how liberal you think you are. If you are a liberal listening to this, you are going to come to the Bay Area and you're going to be like, "God damn, it's pretty liberal out here." And in the Bay Area, people are upset with the teachers' unions for how slow they open the school. They're upset with the local government because they didn't intervene 
and help open the schools faster. This is a thing. This is a thing. And if it's happening in San Francisco and it's happening in Oakland, then it is happening statewide. So label it. Make it a thing. Whenever you're referencing or just start talking about Gavin's gap year. I'm just making this up. Gavin's gap year. And so whenever your kid can't get his math homework, ah, Gavin's gap year. Whenever uh, uh, your, 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 your son or daughter is talking about how they'll never get a chance to, to play on their sports team again, ah, Gavin's gap year. Define what they lost. And that way you even do an end around Gavin taking credit for reopening the schools. I mean, cheese Louise with cheese. It's the reason why I was impressed with Caitlyn Jenner's debut ad, which took a very nonpartisan approach. Listen to this clip and count how many times she says the word Democrat. California was once the envy of the world. We had what everyone else wanted. The American dream grew up here. Yet career politicians and their policies have destroyed that dream. It's been locked away, closed, shuttered, left in the dark, burned down. The government is now involved in every part of our lives. They've taken our money, our jobs, and our freedom. California needs a disruptor. A yep. Zero. Disruptor. Because she knows as a trans woman, she's going to need Democrats to vote for her. Although that being said, Jennifer California might already be falling apart. The candidate no-showed the Ruthless podcast hosted uh, in part by Josh Holmes, former chief of staff for cocaine, Mitch McConnell. And Holmes had this to say about the Caitlyn Jenner campaign. So it tells you a few things, right? For those of us who've done this for a living for a while, it tells you a few things. You don't reach out to a show that you ultimately don't go on. You don't unprofessionally let people know that you can't make it. Yeah. Unless you are a completely unorganized show that is a scam campaign from the very beginning that is doing nothing but trying to draw attention away from legitimate candidates who have a capacity to try to unseat the most liberal, disingenuous piece of garbage governor in this country, maybe aside from Governor Cuomo. He said that. The shutdown in California has left Gavin vulnerable. But so far, the Republican opposition has demonstrated every inch of why they are a minority party in the state. X's and O's, blocking and tackling, put out a message and do the press you solicit. If this is the once every 20 years opportunity for you to get back in the governor's mansion, and this is the best you can put out? You deserve to be shut out of all discourse. Politically. Like, not the people that vote for him. Whatever. (laughs) Poor 24%. And they all live, like, 10 minutes from Disneyland. (laughs) Maybe that's why. Maybe they're just so frustrated politically that they just need to be next to the happiest place on earth at all times. Matt writes into the show, what are your thoughts on everything being called a dog whistle? As a diehard Republican voter, Twitter would believe that these kinds of messages are targeted toward me. To be honest, I'm not sure if I've even noticed them until someone pointed it out after the fact. Although my wife does say that I don't pay enough attention to things, so maybe I'm just an airhead. Regular Gavin Newsom over here. Probably too hot to be trusted with a driver's license. So I did a little noodling around on the concept of dog whistles. Because I share your hesitation, friend. 
with how easily that this term is thrown around. So dog whistle as a political metaphor comes from the ultrasonic whistles that can be heard by dogs and not people. They tend to be used by shepherds historically. Too often, though, the use of common phrases can, in my opinion, be painted broadly with all kinds of smears and then labeled a dog whistle. I've mostly come to the conclusion that dog whistles are an over-applied metaphor because I don't think that there could be this many exquisitely crafted dog whistles in a world where politicians aren't that good at their jobs. See previous segment. So let's take a look at something that I do consider to be a dog whistle. The phrase family values. Family values tends to get the attention of religious, if not even explicitly Christian, voters. It connotes laws and enforcement that would run in line with a household that holds their children dear and their God close. Or at least, that's the idea. In her 2006 book, Voting for Jesus, Christianity and Politics in Australia, academic Amanda Laurie wrote that the goal of a dog whistle is to appeal to the greatest number of possible voters while alienating the smallest. And that, my friends, is a definition that I can get behind. How do you maximize your message to people while turning off the least? That feeds in perfectly to what I have always said is the first commandment of politics. On a predetermined day, get more people to press your button than the other guy. So, to do that, you want to maximize your message to people while alienating the fewest. And so, the more clever versions of that would be dog whistles, coded messages, coded terms, that do not offend, but do excite. Which brings me to our modern application of the term. And quite frankly, the assumption that there are a lot of single-issue racist voters. Like, by the numbers, there's got to be millions of them. Because for everything that we claim as a racist dog whistle, you can only imagine that these people are motivated to the polls, not by taxes, not by the economy, not by COVID safety. You know, the top things that we generally believe people are motivated to the polls over the last six months. But no. Racism. Who's the most racist? Well, let me click on this television. Ah, I can hear that dog whistle. I'm voting for you, Mr. Racist, says the racist voter. I don't know why he has such a dry, laconic voice. I probably should have given him a more unflattering voice. I'm going to stop doing this impression now. Ronald Reagan, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump have all been accused of dog whistling to racist. Here's one that I have have totally let me let me just lay this out for you. Ron DeSantis, when he's running for governor of Florida, is accused of dog whistling, a dog whistling when he said that Florida would quote unquote monkey up a good economy if he was not elected. His opponent, Andrew Gillum, is black. Now I'm going to go out on a limb and say that either that is a slip of the tongue or simply an actual racist slur. I don't quite see how using an actual racist slur against the candidate who is of the race you are slurring is appealing to more people while shielding his message from the negatives. He either screwed up or he's saying a racist thing. This is not a dog whistle. 
Here is a good example of a dog whistle, however. In his 2004 campaign, George W. Bush discussed overturning the Dred Scott decision, which denied citizenship to black men. Hey, hey, that's nice. You know, not a whole lot of Dred Scott decision fans out there these days, even in, you know, the halcyon days of 2004. But as conservative columnist, William Sapphire points out, there was a hidden message encoded within. The idea that the Supreme Court can and has overturned itself and that history smiled on that overturning. That signals to pro-life voters that a Roe versus Wade challenge could happen. And remember what that 2004 election was. What turned the tide was safety moms. Suburban women won George W. Bush the election. So sure, there are going to be some pro-life women for which that will excite and maybe that, that activates them a little bit more, but you don't want to alienate a pro-choice voter who just happens to think that George W. Bush is not as bad as the media says and that John Kerry is kind of a windsurfing doofus. So, he talks about Dred Scott, a key moment in racial history, criticizing that decision, hailing the fact that it was overturned, and everybody wins. The right audience hears the message. The others are not alienated by George W. Bush otherwise just coming out and saying, hey, Roe versus Wade could be overturned. That would alienate some. Instead, everybody who needs to hear it gets to hear it. That's a dog whistle. That is a coded message which maximizes its expansion without alienating those that it would alienate. At least, in my opinion. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh man, it is it is great. I I love this new little community that we have uh, uh, created of folks who are in the $3 club that have gone to takepoliticsseriously.com that are signed up to get that bonus episode on Monday morning wherein I predict the narratives that are going to play out this week. And I gotta tell you, that that uh, they're already coming true this week. Infrastructure is one of the top stories that has uh, uh, been been buzzing about this week. The idea of whether or not there is actual negotiation happening between Republicans and Democrats is exactly what I told you guys was was going to happen, and much more. But more than that, the community that has been grown around uh, uh, these shows is that many of you, dozens of you, there are dozens of us, dozens, are waking up Monday morning with this show. The Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show where I am breaking down what the narratives are going to be this week by way of, of decoding and dissecting the Sunday programs is your first show on Monday morning. And I, I now know it for a fact because so many of you guys sent me screenshots over email, uh, uh, sent me notes on the Patreon, uh, tweeted me your, your, your screenshots, and man... 
am I just so happy that we can create this little club of early risers? Do you want to join? Do you hear what I'm saying? And you're like, oh my God, I would love for that to be me. Well, you can. Take politics seriously. Com. Head on over there right now. Sign up at the $3 level. That gets you bonus podcasts on uh, uh, midnight Monday morning. So first thing in the morning Monday. Gets you a bonus episode on Thursday, which is pretty much the last call for any late breaking news. That is our late edition. And you get that exclusively at the $3 level. And then, of course... level, you get uh, your name right at the end of the show, as well as everything in the three. So thank you guys for being such an awesome, awome, awesome community. Take politicsseriously.com. Ransomware. You might have heard a little bit about it after an attack uh, stopped the colonial pipeline, creating gas shortages throughout the East Coast. But it's a persistent problem that has only gotten worse over the past five years. What is ransomware? How pervasive is it? And what should the government do, if anything, to stop it, specifically when it is having real-world consequences that we are seeing now. There's only one man that can answer all those questions in the way that we need, and he is our both tech and UK correspondents. They're all one person. Tom Merritt, the host of the Daily Tech News Show. Welcome to the show, Tom. It's so good to be back, Justin. Ransomware. Ransomware. What uh, what is ransomware? Let let's start here because I do think that right. part of the problem with this issue is that people don't exactly know what it is, and this will set the stage for what people should do about it. But but sure, what sure, is sure. ransomware? So so the the brief version is uh, most people know about malware. They get some virus or, or worm or something. Uh, maybe they open an attachment or click on a bad link and they, then they've got something infecting their computer. Maybe they get an alert from an antivirus program. You've got malware. Ransomware is a specific type of malware uh, that not only infects your machine, but encrypts its hard drive so that you cannot access your own data. Uh, and till you pay the ransom, hence the name ransomware. So it'll lock up your data. It'll give you some kind of message that says, uh, we have locked up all of your data on your hard drive. If you want to get it back, send money to this address. And the money these days is usually some kind of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin being the most popular choice. It used to really just be in the early days, locking it up and holding your own data for ransom. These days, the more sophisticated ransomware attacks, actually, they're not even that sophisticated. They're pretty common, uh, are to copy all of your data and then lock it up so that they can do a double ransom of not only do you have to pay us to get your data unlocked, but also uh, so we don't leak it out on the Internet because we copied all your data and we have something in there we're sure you don't want to get public. How long has this been going on? Uh, more than a decade. Uh, it's It's been slowly building. In the last three or four years, it's become one of the dominant ways that criminal organizations on the internet anyway fund themselves uh, because it works. Uh, if you set the price right and you make it easy enough to do, an organization particularly, is usually not targeted against individuals. An organization will turn over a nice chunk of change in order to not have to deal with this. So when we say organizations, what are we really talking about here? Who's got the kind of coin and the urgency that they would want to pay the troll toll for these ransomware thieves as opposed to going to the police or, or having some kind of, of, of legal recompense. Yeah. You usually 
you see ransomware targeted at finance because uh, they got the money. Uh, you don't want to go against too big of an organization uh, or you attract too much attention and you may be less likely to get your money because they have the resources to pull in a backup and they've defended themselves. You want to go against just large enough to have the money, but not large enough to have the resources internally to fight back against it. So finances is a good example of that. Healthcare has become a more common one. That used to be kind of off limits, like you didn't want to endanger people's lives. But what's happened now is criminals have got sophisticated enough to realize that, oh, well, if we just go after healthcare records, uh, we can get some really juicy stuff because there's great there's great value in records. Healthcare records are are one of the most valuable things to trade on the dark net, and uh, we don't have to lock up their MRI machines and the life support. We we just lock up their records machine, and they'll want to pay us back really fast. So that's interesting. So there is some honor amongst thieves in that they don't want to become murderers potentially. It's it's hard to tell. There may be, and there probably are, some of the organizations that just don't want to do that. Uh, they don't want to have it on their conscience. There are others that are probably making the more practical decision of, if we risk a life, suddenly we get a lot of attention. And again, ransomware operators do not want attention. They want this to be done fast and quiet, uh, because then they will not have law enforcement coming after them, and they can just move on to the next target. So the ideal for a ransomware attack is. Stuff's locked up. The the uh, uh, information officer gets an email that goes up to the CEO. The CEO says, all right, fine, pay them. How fast can we make this go away? They get their money and move on and, and nary a cop is called. Yeah, that, that's what the ransomware operator is hoping happens. Exactly. Yeah. So let's get to the big reason why we are talking about this on a politics show. And that is what happened with the Colonial Pipeline. That is a pipeline with which gas uh, is dis distributed throughout the East Coast. It was locked up in ransomware or the company uh, had a problem with ransomware that led to a run on gasoline. That's the reason why you saw people filling Kroger bags with gas and putting it in their in their uh, trunk. You saw the lines. The idea of a gas shortage was was discussed. What exactly happened there? Yeah, so <sighs> ransomware can be a little bit of a of a, a broad shot, right? Because remember, you're spreading it the way you spread any malware, uh, maybe through email, maybe through getting people to click on a website. It's possible that you get the wrong target to click on the website. Uh, you get the wrong target forwarded the email and they open up the thing. Sometimes when hospitals particularly get affected by ransomware, it's it's often because of that. And there, there have been examples where uh, ransomware locks up a hospital and the ransomware operator just hands over the key because they're like, yeah, we didn't want that. Yeah. Uh, in Colonial Pipeline's case, it's hard to tell. The uh, the group that is being credited with the, the ransomware that affected Colonial Pipeline is called DarkSide. DarkSide was operating as ransomware as a service, right? So they would rent out their ransomware software to people who wanted to use it to target someone and make money. They'd take a cut. Uh, and they also provided a helpline for those affected by the ransomware so they could get their files unlocked really fast, you know, speed along the process of handing over the money. And a pipeline doesn't seem like the kind of target they would have picked. So there's a couple of things that might have happened there. One is wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me stop yeah, yeah, for yeah. a second on dark side because dark side to me is the moment where you notice small roaches in your house and anybody who lives in a place where bugs are an issue. A big roach, a weird thing to see. It might scare the family. Not that big of a deal. A big roach came from outside somewhere and 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 you probably you, you want to spray around but you're okay. When you see baby roaches, that means that there are a lot of roaches in your house and now you are seeing a teeming infestation. Dark side to me was an evolution of these stories going from hey, ransomware is a problem, 
there are criminal outfits. Criminal outfits are always going to look to exploit people. It's happened since the beginning of time. They do it now with computers. To Darkseid being, well, okay, now they're just a service. This is this is Salesforce for for ransomware, and they're and they're doing it on on such a an efficient level that we had seen their name pop up on multiple different big hack or big big ransomware attacks. Uh, 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 that that to me was an escalation. As somebody who watches these stories, is that just me being kind of fooled by the coverage, or do you also think that that Darkseid's existence is okay? Ransomware has moved into a different phase sure. of ease of use. Uh, organizations like Darkseid, and Darkseid isn't the only one like that. Uh, there, there are plenty, a lot of them have overlapping, uh, personnel. So yeah. people from dark side, uh, also work, uh, it is thought work with an organization called Revil, which also does the, you know, will provide the service situation. That's not new for anybody who follows ransomware, but you're not wrong that it is a significant sign of ransomware going from here's the thing that works to here's the thing that works really well to here's the thing that's endemic and hard to stamp out. It's one of the reasons law enforcement has been saying, don't pay these folks. It will only make more of them because it has made more of them and made them more sophisticated. And Darkseid attacking Colonial Pipeline gave them the attention that allows most people to know, oh, that exists, which is exactly what Darkseid doesn't want. So before we get back to what Darkseid does or doesn't want, let, let, let's let's uh, further along the, the Colonial Pipeline story. How, how does this go down? Yeah, so there are, I'm still unsure uh, based on, on what data has been made public, why it happened. Uh, it could have been a client of Darkseid that went rogue and attacked too big of a target. Uh, Darkseid has some terms in their, in their software. They got a that's TOS! Like, oh, yeah. That they're like, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. You know, we won't support you anymore. Could have been that could have been dark side itself thought they could only go after colonial pipelines, information systems and not cause a fuss. Uh, and colonial pipeline reacted more drastically than dark side anticipated could be a few other things, but, uh, essentially what happened was a business billing system computer got infected by ransomware and Colonial Pipeline, out of an abundance of caution, shut down its thousands of miles long pipeline just to be sure that the ransomware didn't spread from the information system into the control system. It never did. The pipeline itself was never under threat, but Colonial wanted to make absolutely sure that it didn't get locked up because that would be an even bigger issue. Uh, and as of as of the pipeline going back into operation, they still hadn't fully unlocked their billing system, but they had walled it off enough that they felt comfortable starting the pipeline back up. And that's what led to the gas shortages. The gas shortage there, they're actually, I mean, this is not a technology thing. There was never yeah. a gas shortage. Uh, Colonial had about, I think they said five to five to seven days worth of gas already stockpiled just, just as a nature of being prepared for summer. Yeah. They had enough gas already in their system uh, that they could shut down the pipeline and there would be no shortage amongst any of their cu customers. But they played it right up to the line and everybody knowing about that caused a toilet paper situation, which gotcha. is, yeah, I'm afraid there's not going to be any toilet paper. So let me go buy a lot of toilet paper causing there not to be a lot of toilet paper because everybody's afraid there's going to run out. So they stockpile that happened with gas. So, everybody yeah. went and said, you know what? I better fill up. Forget the people who like overdid it and put it in plastic bags. Just enough people saying like, Hey, I heard about this thing. I'm just going to fill my tank just to be safe can cause a shortage because there's more people filling up than you normally would have. And so this is a, a reaction to the fact that the, the story became something that exactly. was, was, was discussed. Yeah. Uh, because Colonial, I think on the pipeline side, like the not forget the public messaging side, acted responsibly, which was we have ransomware in our business system. Let's shut everything down, turn everything off uh, that could possibly be infected because we don't want it to get in the control system. We'll work as long as we can uh, without causing an actual fuel shortage in the system. Uh, to get everything back up and running, and they got to the point where they felt like, okay, we we have kept the ransomware from where it could infect the control systems, we could turn everything back on. 
Now, here's why we're talking about this on a politics show. Because when you talk about ransomware, like you explained, it's basically malware. Malware has existed for as long as computers have existed. When you talk about even organizations like Darkseid making this a lot easier for people to attack uh, uh, organizations that are going to pay up. That's still something that I think falls outside of the jurisdiction of something that the president of the United States per se or those that work for him need to uh, uh, busy themselves with. When there's lines for gas, whether or not it's because there literally is no gas or people are just panicked about it, we now enter into the realm of flashbacks to Jimmy Carter and 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 a lot of very bad political iconography that I can understand people in the Biden White House and anybody else who is concerned about American infrastructure is going to think twice about. So here's my question to you. Is ransomware a big enough problem that the federal government needs to do something about it? Um, ransomware is a big enough problem that the federal government should have already been doing something about it. Uh, This is where the divide between governance and politics comes. Good governance has the government working with critical infrastructure like pipelines to secure their systems. It has them up to date to say, look, these are the best practices. This is exactly what you should do. Because what happened with Colonial apparently is as soon as they saw the ransomware, they responsibly shut down their systems to prevent it from spreading, but also paid the ransom. And it turned out that the decryption tool that they got in exchange for the ransom worked really slowly. And so they ended up doing better with their own IT people trying to restore from backup systems than actually using the extremely slow decryption tool. Uh, Law enforcement would have been like, just do the rest- restoration. Don't pay these people anything. Uh, and and so we don't have strong regulations. There are policies in place. Uh, the TSA handles pipeline security because moving fuel is considered transportation. Uh, and, and so transportation security uh, after 2001 uh, uh, was given to the, the TSA. And they have policies on this, but it's been voluntary policies. It's been, hey, do you want the DHS to come in and 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 look at your systems and, and help you figure it out? Not everybody took advantage of that. And it's the same story here as it is in every industry, which is companies don't want to spend on security unless they feel they have to. And they usually don't feel they have to unless the government makes them do it or they suffer a breach or they get uh, after yeah. which it's too late. So what if anything, is the government doing about stuff like this? Uh, there, there's a few things. Uh, the president signed a bunch of executive orders uh, over the things that the government controls, saying we're going to set good guidelines for security and we're only going to buy software from vendors. Uh, that includes not just software that runs locally, but cloud services that is secure. We're going to require multi-factor authentication, uh, most, mostly the kind of stuff you would want them to implement as a good example. Yeah. So it's, it's the government does this. So we should too, you can start making that argument and also, Hey vendor, you want to get that sweet government money. Your product needs to be able to meet these criteria, which then means, means the product will meet that security criteria for other people who buy it as well. So there's that. And then there's also directly changing the security regulations for things like pipelines, which, which of course, because a pipeline was the most recent one, they did it about uh, that, uh, but saying we need to up the game of security in regulations across these departments. That's a thornier one, because if you do it for pipelines and you do it for energy, which they have already been doing, what are you missing? What's the, what's the one that the ransomware is going to go after next that you didn't think of? And you've got the Department of Energy, the Department of Transportation, uh, the the TSA under the DHS, all with their own policies. And if I'm running a pipeline, uh, you know, between a nuclear power plant and a school, uh, you know, or, or or something like that, I might have three agencies that are giving me conflicting guidelines that I have to follow. Ah, oh, man. It's such it, it 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 it's it's such a mess because like I, I I really think this is a a major problem that's only going to be bigger like every step 
whenever I've, I've dipped into the world of checking, oh, so where's ransomware at? It's 10x where it was the last time I, I, I looked at it. And uh, I, I, I just think we're, we're going to come to a point where, yeah, look, a lot of the people that are doing it now are criminals that literally just want a fast buck. But how far are we away from people who want to just make a political point or want to really, really hurt people? And if we're just at a point that that the government is like, all right, well, if you want to make money from us, then then please put in these uh, uh, cybersecurity efforts. Then, like, uh, I think we're we, we, we really have our butt in the breeze on this one, uh, uh, holistically speaking. Well. If I can say a few things that maybe will help people feel a little better about it. Uh, ransomware isn't the first destructive attack that anybody could do. Uh, and and it won't be the last. So there are plenty of things out there that could have caused more destruction previously. This is usually a game of cat and mouse where companies realize, oh, wait a minute, that's a danger. Let's defend against that. And then the criminals come up with a new thing. Ransomware is at its peak, uh, which means because the government of the United States is doing something about it, it's probably over. Uh, it's not It's not going to be oh, gone tomorrow, but criminals are going to realize, oh, everybody's battening down the hatches against ransomware. It's going to be less profitable in the future because more people are aware of it. More companies are going to take it seriously after the Colonial Pipeline incident and the Irish incident where they had to shut down medical services uh, because the the information system at one particular hospital got, got hit with ransomware. So really what the government should be doing, which it probably won't, is looking at the next attack. Is it going to be more supply chain stuff like solar winds, which thankfully because of solar winds, uh, an attack uh, that that affected a lot of big companies back in December, you're seeing the government pay a little bit of attention to that. Is it going to be some other kind of network attack? What what is the next wave? If you really want to stop bad stuff from happening, figure that. You know, skate to where the puck is going to be. Oh, all right. Uh, 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 I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm just, uh, uh, I, I, I hope, I hope that you're right. I hope that the <laughs> idea that this is so big means that the, the, the cheap and easy money is over and, and that kind of chills it a little bit. But again, every time I checked in, it's 10x what it was. So I don't even know the, what 10x the, this the is. Cycle, the cycle of malware is that it always works until the big one. Uh, and when yeah. the big one happens and it and it makes worldwide headlines, then then the next version of attacks starts to be the next big thing. It was data breaches. It was data breaches. It was data breaches. And then we had Experian and then data breaches didn't go away, but they yeah. started to become less valuable because they were harder to pull off because everybody started to bat down the hatches. And that's when ransomware really started to take a big rise. Now that ransomware had its big one, what's the next one going to be? The the downside is there's always a next one. There's always something that can do damage. Uh, and if you're trying to fix the most recent problem, you're not defending yourself against the future attack. The good news is that's always been the way it is. And they never quite get good enough at the attacks to cause as much damage as everybody fears they will. Uh, but, you know, there's always a first time for everything. So maybe it's better to to try to get ahead of it. I don't necessarily think governments will get ahead of it just because of the nature of things. But status quo is probably what my guess will be, which is uh, we'll get really good against ransomware and there'll be a new threat rising in the next two, three years. And then there'll be something big around that one. All right. Enough about tech. You're also our our, our UK politics correspondent. Is there anything uh, happening across the pond that we should know about? Oh shoot! Uh, you know there there is, but I wasn't prepared uh, for this. So I, I got to re I refresh my memory. It's not like the Brexit days, man, where it was always I like know, you know, I know, right top of mind. Uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Although you'd imagine that's, I mean, that's that's kind of a, a, a fascinating thing because you know Boris Johnson certainly is is not Trump, despite the fact that he has silly hair and he's very loud and he's he's more of a nationalist politician than the average bear, but. Uh, uh, it is interesting that things have kind of gotten quieter over there as they did here, even with their 
big, loud, populist prime minister. Uh, there is the ongoing confusion over COVID regulations, which is, has been true in the UK the entire run of the pandemic, uh, which is the government saying it's going to do somewhat, something, everyone misunderstanding it, misinterpreting it, or just being confused by it, uh, and then freaking out about that. Uh, the latest is we are not imposing local restrictions after confusion over new guidance on travel. Uh, but the bigger <laughs> one is uh, an old an old statement of the prime minister's being resurfaced uh, where he compared uh, women wearing burqas unfavorably to, I believe, a postal box uh, being brought up and, and, and waved in his face uh, and him having to say, yes, those were wrong. It was insensitive. I wouldn't say that now. Uh, but but a lot of uh, a lot of claims of institutional racism and that sort of thing being brought against Boris Johnson right now. That's 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 news. I mean, like, didn't everybody know that before he's been he's been a public figure that's been controversial for that stuff? I knew that. Like, I mean, that that's been a part of his 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 shtick for forever. I mean, or at least not his shtick, but his his permanent record at the very least. Like when when people don't like Boris Johnson, they they always throw that quote around. Well. If you, as the prime minister, order a report in 2019 on how your party handles discrimination allegations, don't be too shocked when they discover old uh, things that you say. Put it in the report. Oh, that's where it came from. Yep. The conservative uh, uh, review review of that. But it doesn't seem like uh, there's there's much opposition these days, right? Because isn't isn't the Labour Party still a mess out there? I mean, it's not as me as much of a mess as as it used to be uh, under uh, good old Jeremy under Corbyn. Uh, yeah. So so Starmer Starmer is not a mess, but he doesn't yet appear to be particularly effective. Yeah, yeah. When is so? Uh, what 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 is our ticking clock on 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 an election? Do we still got a, a little? Uh, oh yeah, little no, we got, got plenty of time. I know we got so used to having them every three months that it seems like it's been a long time, but. <laughs> Yeah, they've got a five-year term, so we we still got a few years before he has oh, to. Oh wow, wow. Okay, yeah. So he so he he could call for it any time uh, uh, through there. But. You can call him early, uh, but yeah, there's there's. It used to be you 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 could just stay in until the pressure mounted, but they they put a term on it. Not you know a couple of decades decades back. And no other problems with uh, uh, fish disbursement uh, post uh, Brexit. You know, the, the fish, the, the fish problems are, are very under the radar. Uh, the, the fish problems seem to be underwater <laughs> sonar even. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, do we think, is there going to be another, uh, Scottish referendum? Okay. That's, that's where things are getting interesting, right? So you, you've got to see if the SNP, the Scottish nationalist party is going to hold on, uh, to its influence. If it does, there will definitely be a huge push for another referendum, uh, the last referendum, they said they wouldn't need another referendum for a long time. Boris Johnson is firmly against giving them permission to have a referendum, which the parliament in London is supposed to do. Uh, there's talk of maybe just going rogue, which would be what Barcelona did with their referendum. And we saw how that didn't work for, for Cat yeah. Catalonia. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's where things are going to get interesting next, unless the conservatives do really well in Scotland. Uh, which is not yeah. impossible. I mean, really, that's the political story is a slow burner in in the UK right now, which is the shifting of the working class into the conservative party, which is similar to what's going on in the United States. I wonder how COVID affects that, because uh, uh, for for, uh, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting for me on on a lot of levels to to kind of see what our final grades are when when we can kind of see the whole of COVID in our in our in our rearview mirror and hopefully we are far closer to that moment than than we than we have been over the last few months. But uh, uh, you know there are countries that, including the United States, including the UK, that were looked at as maybe being a little too willy nilly and and having things go a little bit too haywire, and yet. They have been among the sterling examples of vaccinating really quickly. And now that tends to be the issue of like, all right, well, well, the EU still lags behind a lot of other uh, Western countries in terms of, of vaccinating. So which virtue do you value more? The ones that locked down more efficiently or the ones that vaccinated quicker? I mean, 
politically speaking, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And, you know, if you finish strong, uh, I think you get a, a lot bigger advantage. I would agree with you. I mean, because also everybody looked at the lockdowns as kind of a necessary evil, right? But it was still an evil. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think anybody looked at it and said, like, thank God the lockdowns are here. Uh you know, whereas in, yeah. in the way that we're like very excited that we get to go to our friends' birthday parties now. If, if we're lucky if, enough to, to live in a place with high vaccination and lowering case rates, uh, it's absolutely true. Uh, the, the problem is and the danger is from where I sit that you are seeing uh, huge caseload rises, not even just in India or Brazil, but in Japan, in Taiwan, yeah. uh, in, 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 in these places that did the lockdown great. Uh, they are having a hard time getting vaccinations. Now, some of there's a million reasons why that could be. Some of it has to do with if everything is great in your lockdown and you're able to walk around unmasked and go to bars, you're probably not dying to get a vaccine because you're like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'll get around to that. You don't even have to be against it. It's just not urgent. If you're like, man, I need to get that vaccine so I can get back out in the world, uh, Make it's a whole different motivation. So we're going to see a lagging of those countries that did the lockdown really well in getting vaccinated. And then you have to worry about, is there going to be some variant that comes out of that evolutionary uh, Petri dish yeah. that, that, that hurts, that doesn't work with the vaccine. So far we've been lucky and it seems like the vaccine works against all of them, but you, you know, you don't want to play that game too long. You want, you want to get the entire world as vaccinated as possible. So you minimize those chances. I don't know how to handle the variant stories because like on one hand, I do think it, nobody should deny them. Nobody should deny that they exist and can exist. But also I don't know how valuable it is to kind of center at the front of our coverage when there's not a clear and present danger on it. Listen, I'll, I'll let you decide what the better messaging is. Uh, yeah. Where I sit is I know how, how viruses work. They, they mutate and they evolve and if you give them uh, enough chance, they'll figure out a way to survive. And I, I don't want to give them enough chance. I, I want to stop oh, them yeah. from mutating enough. I mean, uh, uh, you you know you know uh, you know very well that we are a uh, we are a eradicate of uh, uh, the 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 ills of nature program. We are here to <laughs> we are we are here to make sure that we get Mother Nature's uh, a, a boot heel off of our neck. And the way to do it, in my opinion, is by vaccinating. COVID shots equals body shots. So please, everybody, if you can, if that's what your jam is, even if you think oh, I'm healthy, I'll get around to it. Ah, get around to it. Why don't you make yeah. it, make it a, make it a, make it a fun little, uh, a fun little trip. And I, I hope to see you at a live show soon. To tie all of these conversations together. I am anti-virus. <laughs> Tom Merritt, the host of daily tech news show. Uh, is there anything else that, that folks, uh, uh would, would want to pay attention to that, that, because I know you, you've been doing a lot of bonus stuff on the, uh, DTNS feed and, and you also do a bunch of other shows. Yeah, I think something uh, folks who who may not want to follow tech news every day, but just want a better understanding of it uh, might be interested in is know a little more, know a little more dot com. Uh, it's it's a series of 10, 15 minute explanations of tech topics. So we got one coming up in a couple of weeks on cookies. We had one on 5G. Uh, there's one on Wi-Fi. It just explains like, here's what it is. Here's how it came about. Here's how it works in terms that everybody can understand. So check it out. Knowalittlemore.com. Thank you very much, Tom. You bet. And that'll wrap us up today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you want to uh, say thank you to Tom Merritt for taking time out of his day to come and be a part of the program, you can head on over to px3guest.com. Uh, if you would like to email into the show, use a couple emails this episode. The Young American at gmail.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, it is at px3tweets. Our Twitch, wherein uh, I will be live today, if you're listening to this on the day that it drops, on Wednesday, as well as Thursday, as well as Friday. 
You can find me there, px3live.com. Our newsletter is px3newsletter.com. Had a great one this week wherein I charted which cable news network talks about each other the most. And the results may surprise you. Our podcast, so this thing, you can share it with your friends. px3podcast.com. Our merch, including our COVID shots equals body shots. And guys, you're going to need to get it. Get, get your order in before the summer hits. Temps are already starting to rise. These sleeves are starting to shrink. You need your COVID shots equals body shots, T-shirts, and tank tops immediately. Politicsmerch.com. If you would like to send us a one-time payment in recognition of uh, uh, this show being a thing, you can uh, send one to me, paypal.me slash payjury. My cash app is px3cash. Or you can be a uh, Venmo buccaneer. You send me a buck. Just a buck. A little buckaroo on Venmo. Venmo money's not real, guys. I keep trying to tell you, Venmo money is not real. These bespectacled boffins keep trying to tell you that it has actual financial value. It doesn't. It's numbers in a fake computer system. So go ahead and send me $1 just to prove it. I want to shout out Michael for doing exactly that. Going to Justin-Young-20 on Venmo, sending me a dollar because Venmo money isn't real. If you would like to send me anything to my P.O. Box, it is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show. That comes out uh, at midnight, so you can make it the first podcast you listen to in the morning during the Early Risers Club. And the Titanic $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show, just like these fine folks. Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, Hunter Mile Runner, Berkeley Steven, Kathy Mack, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Gen, Middle Aged Mike, Dotcom Junkie, Calamity Zap, D Laser, Lord Scale, the Quince, and Neil the Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Chad. Snuffies off Route 44. Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners. Brad, Charles, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Just Another Pilot, Frozen Summers, J Pink, and Andrew. You want to join their ranks? Yeah, head on over to. TakePoliticsSeriously.com That is it for us today. I would like to uh, encourage you guys to listen to the Friday episode of the show as we are joined again by uh, Joseph Uzinski from the University of Miami. He is an expert on conspiracy theories and I want to talk to him about this lab leak issue, not necessarily whether or not the COVID-19 virus escaped a lab in Wuhan, but rather what happens when something that was derided as a fact-free conspiracy now becomes part of mainstream acceptable thought? What is the human process to that? And uh, I think it's going to be a great conversation. One last thing before we wrap up here. I want to offer a hearty, hearty 
hearty congratulations to one of our favorite guests on this show, J.D. Durkin of Twitter. In fact, of Twitter, of Cheddar. Uh, J.D., when he was last on the show, was very close to being able to announce something. That thing has now been announced. J.D. Durkin will be the first primetime host of a Cheddar program. Starting Monday, June 7th at 8 p.m., none of the above with J.D. Durkin. Uh, look, J.D.'s a very, very, very hard worker. I'm uh, uh, proud to know him. You know, uh, uh, the, 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 the BitTorrent News Alumni Society continues to just stay winning, which I'm very happy about. But uh, a thanks to uh, 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 everybody who, you know, uh, already wished him support from our community when he uh, announced this on Monday. But I would like to kind of formalize it here. We'll have JD back on the show sooner rather than later to congratulate him in person. But just so you guys know, June 7th, 8 p.m., we all got to tune into Cheddar. We got to make sure that he is... Uh, he is well represented on social media. Okay, that's about it for us today. Until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics. I hear that J.D. Durkin's new show is going to talk about politics, but this, this baby is the only show that dares discuss Oh, Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. <laughs>